Amen. It's good to worship with you. What a blessing to get to praise an almighty God and now to open his word together. Uh, what a privilege. Uh, if you're just joining us or your memory's rusty, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're going to be starting in, the, the bulletin has you starting in uh, Matthew 6, 25. Uh, this is an amazing, amazing passage. Um, so I think I've already told you, you know, the Sermon on the Mount is the most written on part of the entire Bible. So it's the most written on part of the most purchased book of all time, by far, by far. And I would say that today's passage, the passages on worry, is probably the most beautiful part of this amazing sermon. So uh, you might, uh, particularly this week, open your bulletin. Uh, there's just so much richness here that I actually sort of changed course and asked that the passage itself be printed in the bulletin. Um, maybe just to start with a little bit of context on, on where we're at. So remember, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus already has been healing people. Crowds of people are following him. So, so many, he can't see them. He goes up on a mountainside. His disciples come. So those that have committed their lives to him are there. But many who are far off, and he speaks to them all. He speaks to the crowds. And uh, he goes through a number of pieces. I've, I've sort of outlined how I see sort of the biggest three. His, his first point is, oh, that you could treasure God as your heavenly father. Can you see him that way? The second, the second sort of thing that naturally flows out of that, can you trust that his ways, that God's ways are wonderful? Both God's way of acting is good and God's way for us is good. And if we could just agree to follow wholeheartedly, how would we flourish? How would our lives flourish by following wholeheartedly? That's what, that's what Jesus is saying as a whole. But he gets to this really pivotal point where he talks about worry. And um, I'm actually going to start in verse 24, a, a one verse before sort of the main piece, because the, the text today starts with the word therefore. So it's sort of coming out of something. Uh, so let me start in verse 24 of chapter 6. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? So let's just pause there. I think this is, this is so, so beautiful. And assuming we have time at the end, we'll go back and enjoy the entire piece. But I think it's really important to understand Jesus' argument because the Sermon on the Mount isn't a bunch of disconnected pieces. I was, I was listening to some of John Piper's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and he sort of has 
three big points. First off, you don't want to see these as disconnected links. A chain is only functional if each link connects to the, to the next piece. Second, he says, you've got to understand the big picture. The big picture here being, don't worry. And third, you've got to understand how each of Jesus' arguments sort of points to, illuminates that big picture. So let's, let's sort of start with the therefore. Ask, what's the therefore, therefore? You've probably heard that before, right? Well, all of last week, we were talking about you can't serve two masters, right? You can't serve God and money, or God and wealth, or God and mammon, whatever you want to call it. And so Jesus is saying, you know, if you could put that to rest, if you could have settled in your heart, I won't chase the pleasures that money offers. There's another part to that freedom. You don't have to fear the threats that money threatens. Because it's a vicious cycle. If you buy in to the money-wealth paradigm, if your hope is there, one side of the coin is, you know, it's a taskmaster that says you have to get more. Oh, better is just one, one step farther, one more hour worked, one more investment uh, away. But the flip side is, if you ever stop working for me, oh, there's something to fear. But if you can get out of that cycle and get into the cycle of victory, where you have settled in your heart, I serve one master, and he is God Almighty. Not only are you not chasing after the, the gifts that money offers, you also don't have to fear what money threatens, because you serve God. And Jesus, Jesus goes farther into it. Uh, and you might notice there's sort of a line out to the right of each of these ten. I broke it into ten. You could break it into eight or eleven. But the point is, Jesus has a really, a really natural flow of why one should worry, why one should trust. He goes from there and he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Hold on a second. You need a lot of things to stay alive. You need oxygen. You need lungs that work, right? You need a heart that's functional. You need to not get hit by any trucks, right? I mean, the list, if you started listing all of the things you needed to stay alive, you would not finish that list, right? Has God been faithful? Well, you're all alive, right? And, and yet, this is how worry often programs us. It says, forget all of that. Forget the thousands, maybe millions of things that God has been faithful. What about this? Are you really sure, you know, is God holding out on you on this one thing? Sounds like the garden, doesn't it? Is God holding out on you? You just need to take a breath and recognize that life is so much more than food. Now, maybe your worry isn't food. Maybe that one thing that's niggling at you is, you know, oh, but my job, or oh, but that relationship, whatever that worry is, I think Jesus is trying to set it into context. Recognize how much you need and how faithful God has been there. Okay? And then he says more than that. He says, look at the birds of the air. Okay, 
pause, recognize how many things I've been faithful at, and recognize one small thing. They don't have a strategy. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns. Yet God feeds them. What's God like? God is really, really faithful. He is not overwhelmed. Guy, if I had to feed like 30 birds, I would be overwhelmed, you know? Um, yesterday, I was out on a lake, and I watched a great blue heron take off and fly, just gliding across the water. And I have to wonder if part of what Jesus was doing here was just reminding us of our creator God's faithfulness. God created those birds, and he creates us. He has created us. He is recreating us. And it's beautiful. And you've got to remember, there's a bigger picture here. There's a bigger picture. And I'm trying to come up with an image that, that you could sort of hold on to, that we could look at. And I came up with an ant. Here is my beloved little ant. And you know, I've got to say, those bumps might seem like a big deal to the ant, right? But honestly, I'm the ant so often. I see sort of what's overwhelming me today or in the next week or in this relationship or this particular need I have. And it's so hard for me. And yet what Jesus is calling to us to is step back, see the bigger picture. Step back and see God's faithfulness. Can the ant really see that the ball is round? No. Can the ant really see much of anything? No. And, and when I look back, particularly at those times I'm captivated by worry, it's, I'm looking sort of down one thread. It's not like I'm not looking ahead, but the thread sort of sounds like this in my head. It's, what if, what if this goes wrong? Oh, and then this might go wrong. Oh, oh, and then this might, oh, and this. And it's sort of like, I just, I lose touch with the big picture of God's faithfulness. How many billions of birds are there? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. But Jesus' argument goes a step farther. He says, are you not much more valuable than they? God created the birds. He cares for them. He provides for them. But he called you his children. He called me his child. I need to remember that. That is the remedy for fear. We need to hold on to God's truth about fear. And he finishes this section with one more piece, sort of this quip at the end. And even if all that weren't true, even if God wasn't amazing, he is, even if he didn't care specially for you, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? I mean, <laughs> what good does it do anyway, right? And so I, I feel like it's, it's only fair to sort of back up and sort of say, hey, at this moment, what is worry? And sort of what's going on here? Really what's happening here is, it, is, there, is there is a battle going on in your mind, right? And because of modern science, we at least understand part of that battle. There's something called your limbic system. It's in the middle of your, of your brain. Uh, it has the amygdala, the hippocampus, and essentially that's, that's what controls your emotions. And then there's this much bigger thing that's sort of your, your complex thoughts around, and that's called the, the cortex, right? And the, the reality of it is that when we're born, 
our emotions dictate everything. Uh, the way, let's see, uh, NYU uh, neurobiologist uh, Joseph Ledoux describes it. He says, connections from the emotional systems to the cognitive systems are much stronger than connections from the cognitive systems to the emotional systems. Translation, my two-year-old feels hungry. She doesn't think about it, right? What's she do? She says, I want food. And if it's not fast enough, I want food, I want food, right? <laughs> that's, you know, that's natural. You start out with that part of your brain dictating your life. I'm hungry. I'm scared. You know, whether it's the dark, whether it's water, you know, for me it was spiders, right? Oh, <laughs> heaven help me. If, you know, five-year-old Keith saw a spider, I would not be near you for long. I would, I would run. Um, well, what is the process of maturation? The process of maturation, it turns out, uh, in terms of this system, is your prefrontal cortex can actually tell your brain, no, just because you feel hungry, that doesn't dictate your entire life, right? Keith, just because you're afraid of spiders, you don't have to actually run. And, and your brain can actually inform that emotional nerve center. Now, don't get me wrong. That nerve center is sending out something like um, five neurotransmitters. You know, probably the, the most well-known would be adrenaline, right? Those are getting pumped out to your brain. But your brain can tell you, no, I don't need to run. How does that happen? That happens through rational thought. What is Jesus giving here? Jesus is giving us the progression of how to speak peace to your mind through the truth of God. And, you know, normally I sleep really well. Um, for some reason this week, I was up in the night worrying two nights. And I, I wonder if the Lord wasn't really sort of reminding me about these sort of basic principles. You know, I'm, I'm worrying in the night and sort of like, wait, I think I'm, I think I'm preaching a sermon on this, right? And... <laughs> Um, and, and I start going through, going through the path that the Lord has already set through. I would love for you to know this text well. Because I want you to be able to go to it in the night. I'm not a servant to anything but God. I don't need to worry. You know, my life depends on so much more than what I'm worrying on. And God has been faithful. I don't need to worry. When I think about how God has been faithful to the birds of the air, wow, he is good. I don't need to worry. God cares for me even more than all those other things. I'm called his child. I don't need to worry. Wow, what good does worry do anyway? Can you see how that process is so natural, so compelling? It speaks peace to your mind. And the reality is, our, our, you know, our minds are basically drug addicts. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, what? Adrenaline, dopamine, right? I mean, basically, your mind is looking for chemi chemical stimuli. Uh, in fact, you get a little chemical stimuli when you, uh, when you complete a task, when you do something. And that's sort of how, how your mind, you know, the, I don't know, 
the, the front door flies open and bang, 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 and somehow you feel better when you close it, right? Well, there's, there's just a little bit of a, a chemical stimulus to your brain that says, yeah, good job, you're supposed to go close the door. The weird thing about worry is actually the, the limbic system sends a chemical stimulus to the brain as if you were doing something. That's why it's a little bit addictive to worry. Has anybody like been like worried about something or really afraid of something and like a door slams? I've had this happen. And you're like, whoa! <laughs> and then you realize that it doesn't matter. And you sort of say, I, I sort of go in my mind and I say, yeah, but there was something I was obsessing over. And I sort of like look, look around for that, really that chemical that I was getting from that worry you're getting sort of a fake benefit from doing something when worry is doing nothing. Um, Corey Ten Boom says it much more poetically. Uh, you might remember she was uh, the, the Dutch Christian who first uh, helped Jews get to slavery in World War II and then uh, ministered to people throughout her life in the concentration camps and then later in life went back to Germany and preached Christ's forgiveness to even the German prison guards who'd held her captive. Beautiful, beautiful story. And she says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. sorrows. It empties today of its strength. Worry empties today of its strength. Well, let's keep going with Jesus' argument. He says, and why do you worry about clothes? Have you ever noticed how sometimes worry for you goes from one thing to the next thing? You're sort of like, oh, gee, about this. Oh, and what if this goes wrong? And why do you worry about clothes? Don't worry about that, too. See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. This, it's interesting. In Jesus' ten-point argument, he comes back to God's faithfulness. He comes back. He says, See how the flowers of the field grow, or the translation I, I grew up with, see how the lilies of the field grow? He points us back to God's beautiful creation, right? He says, they don't labor or spin. They didn't earn God's love. And yet, can you see how extravagant God is? Your Father in heaven is extravagant. How much sky do we need? I mean, <laughs> come on, have you thought about that? How many sunsets? I mean, isn't one enough? Your father is extravagant, really extravagant. Jesus puts it this way. I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor, perhaps the greatest, grandest king of all times, was dressed like one of these. God is extravagant. But it's more than that. He says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, this thing that is temporary, how much more will he clothe you? How much more? You're his child, but you are not temporary. And it comes back to the big picture. I can get so focused three feet in front of myself. 
And yet, there's this picture, this history of God's faithfulness that we cannot forget. You cannot forget God's faithfulness to you. I'd encourage you to commit it to memory, write it down. God's faithfulness to your family. I'm jealous of the families that have a history written down of how God has been faithful to their family, their grandparents, their great-grandparents. Man, you could be the start of that if your family doesn't have that. Write down God's faithfulness so your kids can bank on it, your grandkids. God has been faithful. He has been faithful to this nation. He has been faithful to his people through all generations. But that's not the end of the story. God will be faithful, right? You are not temporary. You were made for eternity. You were made for so much more. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, and maybe that's partly why I picked the picture of a basketball. You know, there's, there's so much, in some ways, eternity behind, and there's eternity ahead. But the point is, the basketball seems big to the ant, maybe unfathomably big. But the basketball is really pretty small, right? The basketball is really pretty small. And I want you to think about this. God knows you. God knows where you've been. God knows where you're going. So much better than where, what you know. So much better than what you're capable of. How much more will he clothe you? Then Jesus sets up a sort of a dichotomy. He says, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, that word simply means those who don't believe, who don't follow the one true God, run after all those things, and your Father knows that you need them. Right? And here's the issue. Frankly, that basketball isn't very big, right? In fact, that gym that the basketball's in isn't very big, right? When you take an aerial view of Nacogdoches, that giant gym just doesn't look quite so big. And frankly, Nacogdoches doesn't look just giant big when you look at North America, right? And frankly, the whole Earth doesn't look very big when you look from Voyager. This is a picture from four billion miles away from Earth, the farthest picture we know of taken. Four billion miles. And uh, I think Carl Sagan called it a pale blue dot, a fraction of a pixel. And that is us. That's the continent, that's the gym, that's the basketball. You're the ant. I'm the ant, and yet you are loved. How much more will your father love you? Now, there's a catch. God loves his creation. God loves every single one of you. But Jesus talks about the difference between pagans, and I'm going to say that's those of you who haven't believed and given yourself over to the Lord. If that is your situation, I have to say, in my best analysis, you have everything to worry about. This is a big universe. 
And if you do not believe that the hands of a loving creator structured it, placed you here, then the rational alternative is that through many, many chances, you happened to be alive. You happened to be healthy. You happened to be here. And frankly, the odds weren't very good. Um, I've heard it estimated something like 100 trillion to 1. The odds weren't very good that you got this far. And frankly, the odds aren't very good from here. If you don't believe in a loving God, a God who says, how much more will I care for you? If instead you believe, maybe, maybe this system is just, is just about who can get more for themselves. The problem is, you aren't the best. And even if you can fool yourself into thinking you're the best, you aren't going to be the best for long. Your hope had better not be in your own sufficiency for tomorrow. You should be worried if that's what your best hope is for tomorrow. But there is a hope, and that is actually why Jesus Christ came, why he spoke these words. God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus Christ to come to say, I created you, I love you, I have a purpose. You are not big. You'd be deluded to think so. But you are a big deal to God. You are a big deal to the author of the universe. You are precious to him. And he would say to those of you who have invited that hope into your life, why worry? <laughs> that, the worry is for those people that don't know the Savior. Why worry? And Jesus' argument sort of crescendos here. He says, don't worry. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. You don't even have to ask. He knows you really well. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We aren't big, but we get to be a part of God's big plan. That's God's kingdom. We get invited into our Father's work. We get the privilege of stepping forward into something bigger, something beyond, something good, something eternal. That's his kingdom. We get the privilege of right relationship with the Father. That is righteousness. Right relationship with the Father. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things, they'll take care of themselves. All these other things will be given to you as well by your generous Father. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. I have to wonder if Jesus didn't say this sort of with a chuckle. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, the final argument, tomorrow will take care of itself. It really will. God has a unique purpose for you. He has wonderful things in store. He knows about tomorrow. You don't, you can't. It'll worry about itself. God has enough for you today. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it delightful? I'm hoping, I'm hoping I went fast enough. I just think this is beautiful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close us in prayer. The worship team will come. And I just want to say these words to you. I want you to hear this beautiful truth. God's word is living and active. It's good. And then we'll respond to him in worship. I think it's the only right response. So let's pray. Oh, God of the universe.
good God, you are so faithful. <laughs> you are not surprised by the weakness of our faith. You are not surprised by us getting distracted. You held your hand out to Peter, even, even as he was sinking in the waves. You love us, but you would have better for us than to be gripped by fear. I pray that you would free us from fear. Give us eyes to see your faithfulness. Give us encouragement for ourselves. Help us to encourage others to look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We praise you. We love you. Amen. God. Therefore, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of those. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? Or what should we drink? For the pagans run after all those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all those things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen.